Good morning, church. It's good to see you all here. Uh, Join us online. Glad to have you, uh, but we'd love to have you in person. And if there's anything we can do to serve you, I know many people are still at home and understandably so. And so like, just want to make sure we always say that if you're at home or listening from work, listening from your car, um, just want you to know we'd like to connect with you uh, and serve you in whatever way we can. So I'm glad that those of you here in person are here in person. It is really good to see you all. Uh, we're we're going to be in Genesis uh, 1, as Daniel just read, and uh, just a couple of things to think about as we get started. We were singing um, a song a few minutes ago, and I was just thinking about, like, what do you do when you show up at church and the band is singing a song that you're just not feeling? Like, it's, it's just not what you came ready to sing. Like, your goodness is running after, it's running after me, and you may be at a place in your life journey where you're like, you know what, I'm having a hard time seeing that. So what do you do when like you show up at church and, and, and what the band is singing is not necessarily where you are and why is that so and, and, and why do we feel like guilty about that and really that, the answer to that question has a lot to do with the series that we're in um, as we look at Genesis 1 and 2, understanding God's good design. Like we understand the brokenness of the world all too well, like that's, that's a reality and we, whether you know like you turn on the news, you're listening to that or you're just going through like something yourself like You're very familiar with brokenness, and because of that, because we live in a fallen world, because we experience brokenness personally, it is hard at times to see God's goodness. It is hard to see God's good design in the things that are. And so the the heart of this series is to just to take a step back and look at God's creation before the fall, and what did he intend for the universe? What did he intend for you? And, And that doesn't necessarily make the brokenness go away, right? But it allows us to see God's goodness in the brokenness, God's goodness running after us despite what's happening in the world today. Like, let's just be honest. I was thinking about like the last two years, you know, like when first it was COVID and that we all talked about what a big deal that was and how difficult life became. And then do you remember the murder hornets? Where did that story go? It was like, almost like we were watching Wizard of Oz 2020 style where it was like, okay, they're all, you know, they're, they're not scared of COVID anymore. Let's release the murder hornets. And like, and then that story went away. And it's like just one thing after another. We were talking about this um, in, as elders, even about like the Ukraine situation and, and the political persecution that's happening there. And like, yeah, but how many stories like that are not even being noticed right now in the world? And actually persecution for faith in, in India and Africa and South America and Canada and even here in our own, our own United States. And so like, like the brokenness is all around us, and many of you walked in today just feeling that personally. And so what do you do? Like, I don't really feel like singing that song. Can I just give you permission? It's okay sometimes to just stand and not sing. Like sometimes I just need to like let you sing over me. So if you come in, you're like, I'm just, I'm just not there right now. It's okay. Like we want you. Like be where you are. Maybe you just need to hear the saints sing. And sometimes I'm like, well, you know what, I just need to sing these words until, until they're true again in my mind. And that, that's helpful too. Um, but like, I was thinking about that this morning. Like, I'm really thankful that Jesus himself, like, exposed himself to the broken, fallen world. And you know the song that was on his lips on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a song that he was singing and sometimes you just need to come in and sing that song I just want to give you space to do that um, whether it's today or it's next Sunday when you walk in 
Like if that's where you, like you're in the right place. You're in church. You're at the place where the saints gather, where we bring our woundedness uh, before the Lord, one who himself has been wounded on our behalf, that in him we would have hope and we might find healing and might find a sense of like, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Well, I hope that the Lord encourages you today as we dig into the scriptures. We're gonna continue on. We've made it last Sunday to about halfway through day six of creation. Now we're gonna slow down for the rest of the series and really look at this, this role that you and I play in the universe. It's a really significant role, the, the imago Dei, the image of God. C.S. Lewis uh, has a quote about this. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. So I just wanna start with a question. What in the world does he mean? What does C.S. Lewis mean when he's describing human beings from a, from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, and he says to you, there are no ordinary people. You think about that for a minute. What does that mean about you? Because I feel pretty ordinary. And if I ever feel extraordinary, it's usually in a negative way, right? I feel less than qualified. I feel less than valued. I feel less than accepted. And what C.S. Lewis is saying from his reflections on Genesis 1, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, is that there are no ordinary people. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let's read again. This is about halfway or partially through day 6. There have already been beasts of the field. The universe has been set in place. Time has been set in motion. There's been day and evening since day 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're going to take a few weeks to unpack um, the fullness of what God is expressing to you and I about what it means to be um, created as human beings, but today we're really going to focus in on this image-bearing piece. Like, what in the world does that mean that God says, for this last piece of creation, the last thing I'm going to create, it is going to be created different from the rest of creation in that it is actually created in my image. So last week we looked at everything that has been created in the universe has been created to reflect his glory, right? To turn worship upwards, heavenward, towards God, towards the creator, to give testimony that there is not only a creator of the universe, there is a good creator of the universe. And here, placed in creation, God puts the human being and says, this one's going to be different, and here's how. It's still, it's still gonna reflect my glory, but this one is actually going to bear my image we think about what it means to be an image bearer i think about kings i think about the cupbearer right that was if you were the cupbearer to the king you were the one who drank from the goblet first right you were the last line of protection between the king and his adversaries if they were trying to poison him or kill him like that's where you stood you stood between the king and his adversaries to protect the king from the schemes of his enemies. Think about that. 
We're not cupbearers. God doesn't need you and I to stand between him and his adversaries. He doesn't need us to protect him or defend him. So we're not cupbearers. I started thinking about what are the other bearers to the king? I started thinking about armor bearers. Armor bearers are the ones who were, like literally that's what they did. They carried the heavy armor around so that the king or the king and his knights could be fresh, not worn down from lugging around all this heavy stuff. So they would help the king put on his armor so that when the king went into battle, he was fresh, he was fully armored, protected, ready to go. The armor bearers were servants of the king to help him succeed in battles. And yet, we're not armor bearers, are we? Like our king doesn't need our help in succeeding in battles. He doesn't need us to help carry the load so that he's fresh to face his enemies. As a matter of fact, he goes, right, he stands in between us and our enemies. Like he carries our burdens. He's, in a lot of ways, he's the armor bearer for us. But instead, we are image bearers. The concept of an image bearer in the ancient world was oftentimes related to the king. Uh, This is the way that a king would remind, especially distant lands, who was in charge, who was on the throne. And it was made visible through things like currency, um, you know, like Jesus is talking about paying taxes or giving money to God. And he asks a question like, hey, let me see a coin. Well, whose image is on that coin? Caesar. Okay, well, then we, we pay our taxes to Caesar, and then we give to God what is God's. And so that idea of, like, we even still put that on our currency today, don't we? Like, there's an image of who's in charge. We put presidents on our currency. Another thing that um, would happen in the ancient world is they would actually have statues carved of the king, and they would be placed, like, in town squares, um, in distant lands, conquered lands, to remind the people of the king. And so now we're getting closer to what it means to be an image bearer. So whatever God means by image bearing, it's pretty clear and it's pretty explicit that at the essence of what it means to be a human being is that we are image bearers. We are these living beings created to bear his image. I want you to think about this for a second. Like to understand what it means to be created created in his image don't we first need to understand who he is don't we need to have some kind of idea of who god is that we might better understand what our role is in image bearing now one of the mistakes that we make and i make is that we primarily see god as a doer aren't we constantly asking him to do and we read the creation account, we're like, man, he's doing a lot. He's working. Six days he worked, then he rested. He's doing a lot. And we constantly ask God to do, to do for us, to do in the world, to, to do in Ukraine, to do here, to do there. And so oftentimes we just see God as this like cosmic Santa Claus vending machine of good deeds. And we only go to him to do things. But to understand God is we have to understand that he does out of who he is. Before he does, he is. Here's what I mean by that. God didn't create the universe so he could become a creator. He created the universe because he already was a creator. God didn't send his only begotten son so that he could prove to the world 
or that he could show you his love. He was already loving before he sent his only begotten son. Well, why did God love the world? Why does God love you? Because he, in and of himself, in his being, he's a lover. Why does God protect? He's a protector. It's so important to understand that Jesus going to the cross was not because he was, he was up for promotion in the universe. If you'll go do this thing, then we'll hail you as the Savior of the world. No, he went to the cross because he already was a Savior. It was already within his being to love and lay himself down and to take on our enemies. So it's so important to understand that what we see God doing comes out of who he is. He's first a being, then a doer. Now we can begin to talk about our role because I think that's something we mix up in our own lives. One of the clearest examples, right, is to ask somebody, you know, what they do for a living and they say, I am a I'm a plumber, I'm a teacher, I'm a carpenter, I'm a data analyst, I'm a, right? I am what I do. You see how we have that backwards? And so we have to understand God, he's a being who does, then we could better understand what it means to bear his image. So what does it mean for you and I to be before we, before we go do? Thinking about this, I think it's so important to stop and to remind ourselves of the good news of the gospel itself. So when we say a phrase like, you can't earn your way into heaven, what we mean is you can't become loved by God by doing enough stuff for God. Which is an inverted idea of Christianity that we see, at least in the American world, that's been a lot of my American church experiences. If you'll be a good little boy, God will love you, he will bless you, He'll give you a hope and a future. Now, nobody really preached that sermon, but it was like so indirectly preached over me that, that I believed it. So therefore, when I don't do, God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't accept me anymore. I'm no longer his child, but, but once I get back on track, now I'm his child again. And so I am because of what I do. And the gospel says, no, 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 no. Let's start with being. Let's start with this. Here's the gospel. You hear the gospel. God loves you. He sent his only begotten son to lay his life down for you. And that by believing in him, you would have eternal life. When you believe that, it changes your being. God adopts you into his family. You are a child of God. That's who you are. And out of who you are, then, you go do. This is why it's so important. Because you're never going to be a perfect doer. And so what happens when you get it wrong? You still are. You're still a child of God. Like, that's good news. Otherwise, like, right, my identity's always in jeopardy based on how good I am in the moment. How am I doing today? What does my spiritual report card look like? And the gospel says, no, 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 you've already passed. You have an A+. I have an A+. Yes, yes but I've had a really rough day and I've messed up a bunch. How did I get an A plus? Because that's what the cross was about. Jesus went and he earned the A plus for you. He said, here, like come take my righteousness. Come take my excellence, my perfection. Come take it and you'll have it. 
what happens when I, when, I, when I mess up? Do you take it back from me? And God's like, no, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are eternally accepted. Matter of fact, I put my Holy Spirit in you as a seal, as a stamp of my approval over your life. That's good news. So in Christ, we're called to do, serve, share the gospel. There's things we do, like God does, we do, right? But we do it out of what? Out of our being, not because we're trying to become something. Now, we think for a minute about what it means to be image bearers, and I think there's a a tension here. If we think too lowly of ourselves... We will live without purpose. We'll simply just kind of join the rest of the creatures of the earth and just react. We think too lowly of ourselves. We'll ask the question that that Paul was talking about in Romans 9 when he says, why in the world did you make me this way? You ever asked yourself that question? If we think too lowly of ourselves and we don't see ourselves as image bearers, we're just like the rest of creation and we're tempted to say, why in the world did you make me like this, God? However, if we think too highly of ourselves, we'll be like the inhabitants of the city and the Tower of Babel, and we will seek to become like God and to build a great name for ourselves. And so there's a tension here, right? I can't, I, I don't, I can't see myself as less than an image bearer, but I, but I also can't take the place of God. And so what does a right-sized view of myself look like i think the psalmist in 139 puts it beautifully in in verse 14 i praise you the creator why because i am fearfully and wonderfully made and as the psalmist is thinking about himself as an image bearer and he's thankful that god made him fearfully and wonderfully look at what he what he says here wonderful are your works not my works Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. A right-sized view of yourself sounds like this. I am set apart. I am loved. I am accepted. And I exist to make much of God as an image bearer. But you know what else? I also fall short of his glory. And I need a savior. This is where the apostle Paul in Romans 7 writes these desperate words. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he follows that up with praise be to God in Jesus Christ. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So there's this tension. So many of us, I would say the majority of us, even in Christ, think too lowly of ourselves we just feel like a piece of creation just interacting with the world and we look behind us and we see a a trail or an evidence trail of brokenness and fallenness and falling short and surely there's no way God could love me I'm a wreck he loves everybody else in the room but not me and we think too lowly of ourselves there may be those in the room or among us who are like, you know what? I think my struggle is I think too highly of myself. I spend too much energy and effort trying to make a great name for myself. And I'll be honest, that pendulum can just swing within your heart from one extreme to the other. 
thinking too lowly, thinking too highly, thinking too lowly, thinking too highly. And the right size view of self says this, I praise you, God. I praise you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are amazing and my soul knows it all too well. I want to take a step deeper now into this idea of understanding that our our imaging and our reflection of God comes out of our being. What's different about you from a Labrador retriever? What's different about you from a tulip? What's different about you from a chimpanzee? What does it mean truly to be set apart, created in the image of God? I think about um, how Jesus answered a question in Luke 10. He's asked this question, Jesus, what's the most important command? And Jesus responds by actually quoting the Old Testament. And he says this in Luke 10, 27, he answered them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, holistically, what Jesus is saying, and what I believe we're called to do, is to love the Lord our God with all of our being, everything that we are. I want to be cautious that we don't categorically try to dissect being into too many categories but I do want to pay attention to the description that Jesus gives of your being this is what sets us apart chimpanzees and tulips can't do this first of all your mind you're going to love the Lord your God with all your mind you have cognitive capacity that nothing else in creation has You have a capacity for knowledge, wisdom, reason. You can deal with concepts, calculations, predictions, and you can remember history. Think about that. Nothing else in creation can do those things. That's why we love to tell stories. We love to make choices. What's your favorite Starbucks drink? right? That, that mental capacity is part of your image bearing. And when you engage in the world with your cognitive capacities, you're reflecting the image of God. Creation looks at you and gets, now it's a small reflection, oftentimes distorted and, and, and kind of fuzzy. But in that, like creation looks at you and we look at one another, we begin to see a reflection of a God who is all-knowing and all-wise who is the source of reason. Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God also with our hearts. We have relational and emotional capacity. You can actually use your mind to think about your emotional and relational capacity. We've talked about this before. Why am I lonely? Yeah, you can think about it. You can reason with yourself. You can be present with yourself. Think about that. Relational capacity allows us to engage in concepts like repentance, forgiveness, patience, restoration, and hope. When was the last time your dog came to you and asked for forgiveness? 
They may need to do that, but they, they can't. They want, they want your approval just inherently hardwired in their animal-like right D- DNA and the receptors in their brain, like they're hardwired to know that if you're smiling, they get food, <laughs> right? But they can't recount their favorite meal, right? And nor can they come to you and say, listen, I feel the tension in our relationship. I have a feeling this has something to do with your slippers, right? But as human beings, we have relational capacity. We can sense when there's something between us, and we can come and ask, and we can use reason and right? knowledge, and we can engage cognitive and say, listen, I'm just, I'm feeling this vibe from you. Are we okay? Or like, I heard you say that, and like, can you unpack that for me? And so we have this relational capacity. When you see two human beings engaged in relationship, you're seeing a reflection of a God who has always existed in perfect relationship. You see how that works? Where two or more are gathered, he is in, like he is in their midst, is both a promise of his presence, but it's also a promise of a reflection. Like people are gonna, when two or three gather in his name, you're gonna begin to see a reflection of God because God has always existed. And we'll come to this in a couple of weeks. Two weeks from today, we'll talk about this relational component of who God is and how he's hardwired you. But just know that wherever you see relationship, friendship, marriage, you're seeing a small, oftentimes distorted, reflection of the creator. Not only that, we're called here to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, and I don't want to get too mystical here, but the idea that you have spiritual capacity, like you have not always existed, but now that you are, you always will be. And after your time here on earth is done, you will still exist eternally in one of two destinations the eternal joyful presence of the Lord or eternal damnation in hell. You're not just going to die and then just cease to exist. Don't, don't bring me that your dog's going to heaven with you kind of deal, but like there will be animals and flowers and things in heaven because it's a new creation, but I'm not gonna promise you that your Labrador is gonna be there with you. Why? Because your Labrador does not have a soul. Your Labrador is not an image bearer. I don't know why I'm picking on Labradors. Ooh. Your Labracockadoodle, whatever they are now. <laughs> Which actually leads me to the last one I want to point out. The idea that you bear the Imago Dei, the image of God, in your strength. Because at the end of the day, God also was a doer. And there's a reason why we like to do. Because in our doing, we reflect the image of God. Now, I want you to think about this. And this one comes with a warning. It does for me anyway. You have the capacity to work and to create. We've always done this as human beings. We build industries, commerce, systems. We build villages, towns, cities, nations, societies. It's what we do. You've never seen a human being on the earth since day one that wasn't doing this stuff. Uh, I was talking with Chris backstage before we started, and, and, and he and I are both Tolkien fans and C.S. Lewis fans, and so we're talking about Tolkien's view of the world. If you know anything about Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, 
he was really defensive about how you viewed his literary works, that you didn't just see them as like allegory or like purely like symbolism. Like he wanted you to see something bigger in his works. And his view as a, as a creator of literary works was that that was his way of reflecting the image of the Imago Dei. He was creating little worlds and universes in a way to reflect the God who actually created the world and the universe, that, that you would see a reflection of God. Matter of fact, if you really are a, a Tolkien geek, then you've read The Silmarillion, which is a work that Tolkien did, and it's the creation of Count of Middle-earth, where he, like, he, he, he goes in and describes how Middle-earth came to be. And his, his purpose isn't to lead you away from Christ or away from a biblical principle of, of understanding the world that was created by God. He, he meant it to be a reflection to, God's, to cause you to go, oh, I can, I can see more clearly now what God was doing in Genesis 1. Listen, when you love the Lord your God with all your strength and you go out into the world, you bear his image, you are a sub-creator. And we see this most clearly like in art and architecture. But listen, if you are like a spreadsheet person, where's Mike DeVenuto? Dude. Hey, I don't want to pick on Mike. He loves spreadsheets. He loves building them. So when I have an intricate spreadsheet that I need built, like I already know the answer to the question, like, hey, Mike, would you mind looking at this for me? And he's like, like he starts to drill. He's like, yes. He gets excited about it and puts in the formulas and tests it and puts in the number and hits enter and all the numbers and work and it's like he's creating. Guess what? So does the carpenter. So does the teacher. So does the financial planner. Right? Everything like we've been created to go out into the world and sub-create so that when people look at you and your work, and we're going to talk about this next week, work existed before the fall. The fall, it tampers with work, it distorts work, but work was there before the fall. Don't blame that on Adam and Eve. God worked six days and rested. He created you to work, to go out into the world as a sub-creator and and to have passion in what you do and enjoyment in in the work of your hands, the work of your mind, the, the work of maybe your words. That in your creating, you would find this joy in, in knowing you are, in a small way, often distorted and oftentimes blurry, you are reflecting the image of God. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, this leads us to an important question that we'll also talk about in the next few weeks. Don't we mess all this up in like two chapters? You're like, yeah, that all sounds great, Jason, but like, we're on the other side of the fall now. Like, sin and death distorted, and all this is broken, and we just talked about that, right? Like, so what now? Does that mean like, we just need to give up on all that, and that was a thing of the past, and now we're just kind of stuck here in the fallenness? What now? And this brings us back to the good news of the gospel. We talk often about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's his active work for our forgiveness and our salvation, our eternal life. One of the things we don't talk about very often is that image-bearing piece and how the gospel impacts the image-bearing piece. I just want to read a few verses from the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. So let me stop. Paul was talking about how when Moses went up on the mountain 
and he was in the glory like he you could see like his face was red from being in the glory of the Lord so he had to veil his face so now in Christ we don't have to have our faces veiled we can be exposed to the glory of God we can press into the glory of God and so he says now we all with unveiled face we behold the glory of the Lord and being transformed into what the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit so I don't fully know what he means here but I saw the word image show up and I saw the word like the idea that we are being transformed show up so Whatever that means for you, it evidently means the same thing for me. You and I are being transformed into the image of something by the glory of God. Every time we see the glory of God, we encounter the glory of God, we we experience the glory of God, we're being transformed from one degree to another towards something, what? Some kind of image. Look at Colossians 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self so that sounds like transformation doesn't it so that's happening in my life something's being put off something's being put on which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator did you know that that was part of the gospel that the imago day in you is being restored you're being transformed back into the imago day pre-fall, pre-sin and death. Romans chapter 8 says it very explicitly, starting in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, here it is, conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. That firstborn is a reference to his resurrection. So here's, here's what I want you to think about. If you want to know what it would have been like to hang out with Adam before the fall, you need to look at Jesus. The, the image of God is being restored in you and me, and we're being conformed back into that original image, essentially being conformed to what? The image of Jesus. You look at Jesus, you read the scriptures, you go, what is it like to be like an image bearer that's not flawed and broken and marred and deluded and distorted? You look at Jesus. You and I, that's not just for the males in the room, men and women, we are being restored and transformed into the image of Christ. And it doesn't happen overnight. Some days it's a lot like watching a tree grow, but you can look back over time and you can see it. The slow glory by glory transformation of the image of God, the Imago Dei being restored in you. So, so you can say, Praise you, God, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that you made a way for the image of God to be restored in me. Let me ask you some questions. How, how does thinking about this? How, does it, how is it challenging the way you see yourself right now? Maybe you walked in with too low a view of yourself or too high a view of yourself. I want you to think about this. This isn't just a concept. This is something you are called to live out practically. So what can you do this week 
to like lean into this God-ordained role for your life as an image bearer. So let's do this. Let's take some inventory. What are you, here's, here's a question you can ask yourself any day this week. What am I using my mind to think about right now? See, it's part of your Imago day. Your cognitive capacity. What am I using my mind to think about right now? Am I glorifying God with my thoughts? Or am I serving self? Am I pushing myself in too low a view, too high a view? What am I using my mind to think about? Another question is this, what do my emotions tell me about my relationships? God gave you a capacity that he didn't give any other being this week. So how are you stewarding relationships? How are you stewarding friendships? How are you stewarding stewarding your marriage? Am I using my capacity to work and to create in a way that reflects the glory of God and the one who created the world? When people look at my doing, do they just see a busybody, a self-serving being, or do they see, do they see a, a sub-creator who's finding joy in using his or her strength to glorify God and serve as this reflection of the creator of us all? So very practical ways you can think about that this week. How am I using my mind? How am I using my heart? How am I using my strength? Am I engaging in the Mago Day? I want to leave you with those questions and just pray over us today. Um, the, these are the kind of sermons that oftentimes leave you thinking. Uh, maybe even leaving you like, I need something. I would just encourage you, if that's where you're at today, first step you could take, if you don't know what step to take, is grab a prayer partner. We just, hey, we just pray over me. I'm just wrestling with what we talked about today. I'm wrestling with some piece of this, or here's what God's challenging me with, and let our prayer team, just let them pray over you today. You, you may want more than that. You may want to grab one of our elders and say, hey, what would it look like to, to sit down and talk? Can we set up a time to do that? So our elders will be out, out in the commons area when we dismiss. They'll have they're the ones with the lanyards on, so you kind of know who they are. Um, our prayer partners will be down here at the front. I'm going to pray. Our worship team's coming back, back up to lead us in worship. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you for this really powerful reminder of who we are. And Father, we confess that we are familiar with the broken version. Some of us just, that's all we can see all we can feel for some of us God it's hard to believe that your goodness is running after us when it seems that all of life is broken but God thank you for reminding us of who we are who we are in Christ who we are in the universe God so humbling so humbling to think that you chose to put your image on us and in us. And so, Father, I pray that the truth of your scripture would be on our minds and hearts as we walk out today, as we step back into the routine of the world this week, that we would step back into the world with the right-sized view of, us, of ourselves, God. 
We are fearfully and wonderfully made, God. Father, I pray for anybody here who's just really struggling, maybe wrestling with the fallenness and the brokenness of their own lives, God, that today would be a day they would step forward and let somebody pray for them and, and minister to them and, God, meet them where they are. I pray, God, as we sing this last song, that you would be high and lifted up, that, Father, it would be more than lip service, that we wouldn't just sing because everybody else in the room is singing, but, God, we would truly think about, we would use our minds to think about these words and what they mean and that they would, they would roll off our lips as an expression of our hearts. Christ, we pray all this in your name.